everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. We're at episode 27. This is the second in a two-parter. Last week, we covered Little Deer Needs to Fly, and this week, we're going to be covering Herzog's Rescue Dawn. As always, with me today to discuss this film is Mr. Colin McFader. Hello. Welcome back to the Dieter Dingler duo. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I know you. I know you've been working on that for days. And it's it a tongue twister. And it paid off. You know, those yeah. uh, that hours of practice, it's like... I remember as an actor, you know, we'd do all these like vocal exercises. You'd be, cow you know, now, it's like brown cow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you, you know, <laughs> if you ever want to see something funny, go into the dressing room, like you know, an hour before like the opening of a play in like a yeah. little community theater, and watch actors. But that kind of paint the wall me. with your voice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, fantastic, man. Well, it's great to be here once again, and I'm excited to be covering. Uh, this second film covering the same subject matter, in effect. Mm-hmm. That's, I think it's the only time Herzog's ever done this. I mean, he certainly has uh, common narrative themes, common locations, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about that a little bit here. But to cover the exact same subject in two films, one a documentary mm-hmm. and one a, and one a narrative, I don't think Herzog's ever done before. And what's since. interesting is we speculated last week on our, our previous episode um, about, you know, okay, why did did Herzog do the documentary right. first was it in and, the then, plan? and then, you know, came up with the movie later or, but no, it was, it was in the plan to do the narrative all along. And then he did the documentary as kind of an interim um, while he was that's trying to get seems. funding for the narrative. So that's interesting what it that seems. Yeah. We seem to, we seem to sort of be partially correct on that. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I don't know exactly, you know, did did Herzog uh, create that short film with the specific intent uh, Mm -hmm. to to get funding? I don't think that's the case, because as I understand, but but I think I think, yes, you know, when he was started to get into that documentary, I'm sure he had the idea. Aha, this would actually make a great narrative film. Mm -hmm. But as Mm -hmm. as I understand it, um, you know, he was actually asked by uh, German television, and I don't know exactly which channel or entity, but he was asked uh, by German television to create a couple episodes for a show, I think, of Voyages into Hell, basically mm-hmm. what the show was titled. I've never seen it or heard of it, um, so I don't know a ton about it. But they actually came to him and asked him if he would produce some or direct some content for them. And I think initially they wanted him to discuss the onset challenges and wackiness of Fitzcarraldo. And he said in like a super Herzogian way, you know, I don't want to circle my navel. You could do that in the Herzog accent. I'm never going to try to do that from you. So that that's like always going to be your thing if you want to <laughs> do that in his accent. <laughs> but he didn't want to circle his navel, as he put it, which I thought is a hysterical yeah. way to kind of say, you know, look, I to, to make something about my own work is kind of ridiculous. Although, of course, he does that a lot in other instances. But mm. he's like, hey, but but, you know, I've got another idea. I read this magazine article about this guy, Dieter Dinkler. And I think that actually would make uh, a really cool topic uh, for the Mm -hmm. show. So that is what led him to meet Dieter and do Little Dieter Needs to Fly. And then I think from there, he was like, this is so intriguing. I think, and you and I have talked about this, he felt such a kinship to Dieter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think this grew out of that, yeah. And definitely, I mean, just on the basis of, they're very similar in there. You know, one of the things that I mentioned while we were having our conversation was that, um, it's like their their uh, intuitiveness is very similar. Their mm-hmm. instinct is very similar. Um, ni- neither of them hesitate. Um, they're both very no nonsense. They're both very, as you put it, kind of this this very masculine 
you know, in yeah. a very traditional sense, not I in the sort so. of sense of like, you know, big muscle man on the beach, but rather this very, um, you know, that traditional sense of like kind of older, I guess, masculinity that, that Herzog seems to put kind into of, a lot yeah. of his movies. Um, and and they, they, so I can see agree? why they would get, yeah, totally. And I can see yeah. why they would get along so well. Um, you know, even just the fact that they've both got these very foundational um, relationships with the jungle. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, of course, Herzog having made, I think you said this was his seventh film that he made in the jungle. Right, um, right. And then, of course, Dengler having spent, you know, half a year, right. um, if not more, including the time traveled. Um yeah, spending that in the in the jungles of Laos and and uh, you know in the Vietnam War. So, um, yeah, I think it's very interesting that these two, you know, they, it's it's as though you took the filmmaker out of Herzog and put the you know put a, a pilot you know a military pilot into that role, and it would be, you know, perhaps <laughs> Herzog in that instant instance would be a very yeah. similar person to, to it's Dieter, possible. even more so. Yeah, it's fun yeah. to think about. I mean, they're definitely, I think, you know, you see a lot of similarities in some of them mm-hmm. between Dieter and between Herzog, and I think you can see, you know, a lot of what probably drew Herzog to Dieter. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, they're both German. Yeah. Um, and Both and grew I think up during the war. Yeah. Both grew up during the war. We talked about this, yeah, some of these similarities when we were discussing Little Dieter Needs to Fly. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's some surface level stuff. Um, but there's also, yeah, I mean, I get a sense, you know, just from what we know about Herzog and what little we know about Dieter, that I, I can certainly see why Herzog would find, you know, that they would both see each other as kind of kindred spirits. Yeah. And it's interesting, yeah. you know, that, like, I just want to maybe kind of bounce some ideas back and forth here briefly, kind of about this idea of like, of Herzog being a masculine director and i don't you know and i don't even know like we kind of can brainstorm this here live on the podcast because i you know i've I've thought about this kind of in in passing before but i haven't really hashed out a full-fledged you know detailed kind of thought on this or analysis on this if you will but Mm -hmm. you know i mean it, it i feel like it's such a part of his mythos and such a part of his you know his public persona and it's also a big part of the films that he's made and you know, in previous films that we've watched, we've, I, you know, we, I think I, I, in, in doing some research for some of the other podcast episodes we've covered, um, you know, he talks about not having many female lead characters and because he draws so much kind of from his own experience. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think his viewpoint is oft, often quite male and quite masculine. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, and that's interesting to me. And I think, you know, his mythos is like this, you know, it's like he does an interview and he gets shot in the thigh and he's like, oh, you know, it's, it's but a scratch. Well, he's like, and, he's like a you know, no I mean, nonsense, it, like giant silent colossus. Kind <laughs> that of, makes right. Sense, it, right. It, well, it, it does, it does. But I mean, he's got that, you know, it's like he's, he talks regularly about, you know, uh, an attitude of complaint. You know, I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want anywhere on my set, any kind of attitude of complaining, you know, suck it up. And, you had kind of said silent acceptance was a was a, a good phrase to kind of describe his mentality, and it mm-hmm. and it seems to be right. Um, I mean, Herzog is a very physical actor. He's very much a risk taking actor. Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, director. Even though he would say that he isn't, um, I mean, he certainly is not afraid of being extremely physical on location in jungles amongst dangerous insects and animals, and you know, f- forging you know white rapids and you know all these yeah. kind of things which are such kind of traditionally masculine 
Which is it's very similar to what you said, and very literal in terms of the context of this movie as well, that, you know, this movie was made for $10 million, which isn't yeah. really a lot of money, especially when you consider that it was shot in Thailand, on location, yeah. in, in terms of, you know, they were in a With jungle. Hollywood it actors. A, it wasn't a soundstage, it wasn't, you know, an hour outside of LA. Yeah. Um, with Hollywood actors, and so it's that really, I think, puts it into almost a nice little box of what type of filmmaker Herzog is that even mm-hmm. when he does have you know I think this is a lot in terms of the movies that he's made 10 million dollars is definitely on the on, on the larger end of uh, his budgets think, yeah but yeah. that's by no means for you know you look at the budgets of something like Apocalypse Now which of course uh, shot on location you look at the budgets of even something like Platoon or most like large war movies or even movies that just aren't necessarily large-scale war movies but rather just movies that shoot on location like this mm-hmm. And their budgets balloon and they skyrocket, whereas Herzog right. kind of had to figure out how to do this for not a lot of money. And I think that that very much is part of it, is this this no-nonsense, no complaint. Yeah. Um, and it's not, and again, kind of the, one of the ways that I described it was that it's not like he, at least, you know, I don't know Herzog, but the way I see it is he's not the type of person that if an actor were to complain he would get mad at them or he would scold them or anything like that. It would more be like this, again, this silent sort of, you know, all right, he can complain, but that doesn't change anything. <laughs> yeah, and I, I want to be, and I want to be, I want to be clear too. I just want to kind of clarify, and mm-hmm. you know, that when we, at least when I, when I'm using the word that I kind of feel like he's a masculine director. I mean, it's it's not because I feel like the things that are associated with femininity are complaining or no, not no. having, a, you know, or not being able to be physical on set or anything like that. That's absolutely not what I'm meaning, and I really am using masculine in a very traditional yeah exactly and and including like unflattering ways right i mean like kind of a a socially kind of an older don't talk about your emotions don't yes um, that's what i'm talking about and and i think that's that's kind of why i also tried to specify that it's this very old style of masculinity yes this this almost like john waney kind of that's what i'm not not to as you said you know diminish femininity but or rather, a woman's just capability that there's this, to make films very anything. much, yeah. Just from a very, uh, you know, analytical standpoint, to say that Herzog is a, a, you know, he exudes this masculinity, that type of masculinity in his films is very, you know, it's an accurate, yeah. Um, I think so. Statement, I, think. I think it's an appropriate yeah. way to analyze. And again, it's yeah. I'm looking at his subject matter. I'm looking at you know the the, the characters that he's telling stories for. They're they're always almost always men. You yeah. know, the major characters in his film are almost always men, and they're. You know, they seem he has a very strong masculine perspective in his opinion mm-hmm. and in the way he tells stories and in the, the people who he chooses as characters to tell these stories through. So that's mm-hmm. certainly what I'm referencing. Uh, well, and, and, and this isn't the, you know, of course, this isn't Rescue Dawn, but you look at just the history of his filmmaking and it's like you look at uh, when we discussed this a little bit when we were doing Nosferatu, which is that the moment that Nosferatu starts to share his emotions and starts to get emotional, he dies. He's yeah. killed by them, right? right so right. there's definitely this, you know, not that I think that Herzog is, would, you know, call someone a sissy for getting emotional, but rather I think that it is very much, especially in this movie, an analysis of people who are in control of their emotions, people mm-hmm. who are, you know, for, for less of a, lack of a better term, clear thinking, you know, right. very, very intuitive rational. and very instinctual or instinct rational and stuff like that and it, it kind of comes back and forth between this um this battle of the minds i guess you could say between jean and dieter in the movie mm-hmm. um which of course we'll get into later about the historical accuracy of that but right. in terms of the narrative of the film there's very much this this kind of yin and yang of 
Dieter being the person who comes in and is like, we're going to get out of here. We're going to escape. July 4th is the day we're doing it. No later. And mm-hmm. I, I said earlier, too, that this is, to me, that is almost like an un- possibly unintentional metaphor for Herzog's filmmaking style in that he is very much no hesitation. Yeah. You know, where urgency. Like, there's no yeah, urgency. He, exactly. Well, um, I think that this film actually opened theatrically on the 4th of July. Which is there just, I, I yeah. don't know if that's coincidental or, you know, if this is kind of by design. Because it just... may, I mean, perhaps he, he thought himself too at the time. It's like, we're opening on the 4th of July. So that's Come it. hell or high water, um, we're doing but this. But that's, and that's what I, and which I, you know, there's definitely points where that can be taken to the extreme and be taken too far. But I, yeah. I think that to me, that's such a great, valuable lesson just in terms of filmmaking. And of course, this is a filmmaking podcast. So just to, just to even talk about that for a second of just like, yeah, I think that that goes right along with his his masterclass when you think about that his whole point is like don't delay, don't, you know, have urgency, write your right. script and get out there and don't, you know, dilly-dally about the mm-hmm. finer details of the screenplay, things like that, which I totally Don't overanalyze. Agree. In fact, it's something that I'm, you know, without getting into detail, I'm going through right now where I'm just I'm like, okay, I'm making a feature. This is the deadline. Yeah. Um and it happened, you know, even in 2019 when I came down, we did our, our documentary in in uh california where yeah. I, you know yeah. my thought was okay on this date i'm buying a plane ticket whether or not we have a a story done um, we're just doing know, it i'm flying down and it went great i mean that was it was one yeah. of those things it was kind of it was the, the proof is in the pudding where yeah i came down and we made it you, you were movie, actually so. the only person out of our group that actually did you pulled the trigger yeah. I, but, I was and, like gotta get some skin in the game <laughs> there you go and and but so these are you know so we're kind of to put this in context again i mean you know these are things i think that dieter and herzog seem to to share yes you know exactly. they, not only yeah. do they share these kind of childhood similarities of where they grew up the conditions that they grew up under but this, I think, you see a lot of similarities in perspective, it seems like, mm-hmm. attitude and personality. Um, of course, we can only speculate, but that's what we're here to do, is to speculate. So, yeah, you know, yeah. and I think, too, you know, uh, there is, again, you know, speculation, my hunch, but I think there's like an honor to Dieter as this, mm-hmm. you know, a clearly kind of idealized character. I mean, he's a human being, just like any of us are human beings, but this this kind of story is... I think is crystallized as a part of the human condition that's important to Herzog, which is, which is an, a type of honor, which is to, to to survive existence, if you will, right? That life is suffering, and to like you kind of said, to accept that and to continue to move forward in life and mm-hmm. to be productive and to and to still live, in spite of you know. And I think this is what uh, Herzog, I think, is drawn to the jungle. For so many, like we said, this is up until now, this was his seventh film being shot in the jungle. I mean, it's mm-hmm, insane. Mm-hmm. As I think maybe it's a, it's a, it represents that, that, that it's like when, you know, walking through life is like walking through the vines and the prickly thorns and the swamp and the mud and the leeches of life that it, it life is always suffering. I know this, we're going to get really like, uh, <laughs> we'll get really positive <laughs> yeah. and optimistic here, but I think you guys know what I mean. I mean, it's yes, life is wonderful, but yes, it's always suffering. And when you try to accomplish a task, whether it's make a film or, or, or anything else in life that has, if the goal has any kind of value and is worthwhile, it's going to be, you know, has any challenge to it. 
this is what the world is. It's yeah. the, if the at the moment world, of challenge you give up, then you're never yeah, going to get out of that power camp is essentially the point. It's yeah. like leeches sucking from you. It's vines growing up yeah. around your legs and threatening to the throttle you. The whole world it's... is leeches sucking from you and vines <laughs> crawling up your leg. There you go. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. I just love it. But I mean, we've all felt like that, right? It's like, yeah. I mean, how many times have you been, you know, in the thick of it? And, and, you know, surrounded by the fog of war, you're trying, you're on a shoot or you're trying to do something, you're trying to get a project funded. I don't know, whatever it is. I mean, heck, trying to like, you know, build an addition onto my house or, you know, life is just every single day. Life is filled with many of these things, you know, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. trying to reach customer service for <laughs> 90% of the companies you do business with. I mean, everything. Yeah. And you're just like the whole world is just conspiring against you to just you know suck the very essence from your bones um and i i can completely see how the jungle is such a great analogy for that um so everything out there wants to kill you everything out there wants to kill you (laughs) and that's you know but but i I think that it's not even a it's not even like a you know pessimistic look at life no if anything it's it's more of a it's a very pragmatic and um you and know the there is, is a he- there's an air of positivity because in all these instances no for sure they get out they win you know herzog's never been he's never succumbed to the jungle he's oh and that's what succeeded. i feel like if i if i try if i could kind of crystallize what i feel like uh i'm guessing again speculation not speaking for herzog but that would be my guess i mean that's what i see you know and that's mm-hmm. what that's what speaks to me from these films when i see them it's about the endearing nature of the human spirit uh, in the end, and I wouldn't even say I would go further and say it's not that everything wants to kill you. It's that it's that everything doesn't give a crap yeah, about yeah. you. That's actually yeah. what it is. It's the complete and total indifference of the universe as to your your life, your wishes, your dreams, your pain, your suffering, your agony, whatever it is. It's total indifference. The universe doesn't yeah. care. Everything's yeah. just fighting for its like own life. And and, and again, and it it's, it's where you get through these these exactly like it's in in again to um, you know avoid going off on a tangent, but all of his movies. But you again get this this through line through all of like that's very much you know to to make this point. What I think Herzog and Dieter really connect on is that mm-hmm. through Herzog's movies, he's always said this in Grizzly Man. He talks about how it's like that Timothy Treadwell had this this romanticized vision of right. nature and the universe, and that when he saw the and bear come dead, it killed him. Yeah. Whereas Herzog is like that's life that's that's you know <laughs> yeah. but it, and it doesn't again it doesn't mean that you can't persevere beyond that but that is even you know, more i think to me what it, what herzog's message is yeah. and what his point is through all i mean of this i think is... even more i think even more than just persevere i mean i think that you can actually partake joyfully in the yeah. sorrows of the world i think yeah. that i mean look at you know herzog's made a life of this it's not that just he's persevering through challenging shoots uh, mm-hmm. he, I mean, he, it's where he actually finds his life's treasure is in these most difficult, challenging situations. And look at the art that he's brought the world and what beauty that is. And I'm sure that that's filled his life with profound purpose. And I mean, it's what he lives for. It's clearly what he lives for. He's he's one of the most prolific directors uh, of, of his generation. Um mm-hmm. And he's, I don't know how old he is now. What is he, 80, almost 80, something? 70, late 70s. Late yeah. 70s, and he still makes, what, about a film a year? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, clearly he he's still in there, and uh, he's still doing it. And it's it's inspiring to me, you know, especially as an older dude. I'm a late bloomer. Uh, it's inspiring to me. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it get, and it gives, for me, who, you know, I'm just in my early 20s now, um, it definitely is a... It's a good sign that you know you don't have to. You don't have to give up young. 
Yeah, exactly. Like you don't have to sit down and take that office job just because yeah. it's easy and it pays yeah. well. <laughs> so that, I mean, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's what I get out of this film. That's what I get out of so many of Herzog's films. Yeah. It's the, it's the yeah. narrative thread that I kind of see through so much of his work. And really, I would say it's, it's probably one of the most endearing and inspiring aspects of not just Herzog's work, but kind of at least the the persona that he presents to the world mm-hmm. um, is a, just a big part of why he's an inspiration to me. And so, you know, I, so let's talk about the it's a little segue here. So, you know, one of the challenges is the challenging of getting a fil- challenge of getting a film made. I mean, and even for Herzog, you know, you mentioned that this film was a budget of 10 million and mm-hmm. that that was actually like a fairly decent budget for Herzog, which is you know, it's so interesting to me that, you know, you can be as successful <laughs> and legendary a director as Herzog and still finding $10 million can take you that long. Yeah. Uh, it, it's challenging, but... And it's an interesting story in this situation, too. It how is he got interesting. Money. Yeah. So, yeah, so apparently, uh, a little bit of background here, uh, this film was entirely funded uh, privately, uh, actually, believe it or not, the, uh, by a basketball uh, an NBA player hmm. um, who actually had a film uh, company as Elton Brand is Elton the name Brand, of the player. Yeah. Yep. And he was a founding member and president of Gibraltar Films. And they actually funded this film almost entirely, which I find pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until later uh, that MGM came in and uh, became the distributor of the film. But it, you know, and I think something that I want to talk to you a little bit about here is, you know, looking at this film and how it was shot uh, and its production design through that lens of having such a tiny budget, because I really feel like Herzog does an extraordinary job, as he has done with a lot of films. You look at the scope of films like a Gary. I mean, it's like some really epic looking films. I mean, and and with such little budget. Uh, I think this is a great example of that, too. I mean, I, I, I'm aware. So when I watched the film, I'm curious if you were, and I've seen it a few times. I don't think the first time I saw it, I was aware of this at all. But I'm aware of the compromises that I can see that they had to make because of budget. I mean, yeah. you, you can see that, you know, we're not showing a lot of, you know, of scale in the beginning. Especially in the, the aircraft carrier. Especially like on that. the aircraft yeah. carrier. I mean, we're shooting very tight. It's like very clear that, you know, we don't have a whole plane. We just have a kind of a cockpit mock-up. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some things like this. It's it's interesting note too by the way that this was the first time herzog had ever used cgi mm-hmm. so we got the the cgi sequence of the sky raider planes in the beginning because mm-hmm. there are no more apparently which really is only not like enough. i would say probably a minute of screen time at most it's very short yeah, yeah. And, and not only that but the crash the actual when the plane hits the ground is yeah that's practical. all practical yeah it is a practical but i mean and you can see even in that i mean you know uh, even in that explosion or, or the crash rather it's very tightly shot there's, we mm-hmm. don't have a lot of wide, you know, establishing shots to kind of to give it scope. But Herzog still does an extraordinary job uh, with that. And I think, you know, where they shoot it. I mean, I think the fact that they were willing to to take a small group and go out and actually live in the jungle for 44 shoot days. I mean, that it's amazing that the production value that 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 you could see so much of that on screen. Um, it's really extraordinary, but I mean, I think it's, I think it, it's a really good example of what you can do with not a lot of dough. And oh you gotta, yeah, totally. And, and with Hollywood, you know, actors we've gotten, I'm sure these, you know, especially Christian Bale probably took a cut here. I don't, I hadn't read anything specific about what his fees were, but to be able to shoot with, you know, Hollywood actors, $10 million, 44 shoot days on location in Thailand is amazing. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, I, I, I mentioned this too, where it's like there's a moment where you pull back and show the whole set of the um, the POW the, camp. The prison, and it's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. it looks you know the, the I was sitting there thinking like this is this is a, it, it looks really I think Herzog did a really wonderful job of making really stretching that one ten million dollars yeah um, and making it you know putting it to really good use well it, it, apparently one of the ways they did that there was that the the prison camp the POW camp was actually the only set that they built mm-hmm. um, yes and yeah that they actually used pre-existing real villages mm-hmm. uh, for all the other locations um, and you can and it, and it really comes across because you can yeah. clearly see you their feel age, that they lived in and the, stuff like that yeah. the jungle has kind of you know the, because they've been there for so long these villages the jungle has crept in and just you know I mean they're half consumed by the jungle so yeah uh, that's of course something that would be extremely difficult and expensive to do if you had to build it yourself and then you know wait for the jungle to encroach again mm-hmm. but uh, yeah production design was outstanding uh, you know of course you know Herzog is so uh, I think, you know, he has so much experience shooting in these areas, shooting on location, working with local crew. And that's another way that, you know, I think clearly you save a ton of dough. Mm-hmm. And uh, his experience with that is, is 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 sure paid off. I mean, it's interesting. You know, all the extras were local here in this entire film. And uh, all of the actors who played the Viet Cong are all actually stuntmen, yeah. which it was interesting to learn. They're actually experienced stuntmen. And even the um, and apparently the one of the main guards uh, with the longer hair and the sunglasses actually mm-hmm. worked as a stunt uh, a stunt man with Christian Bale in the Batman film. Yeah, because Batman which Begins was, would have just been a year before this. Just yeah. a year before this, yeah. So which probably was even less world. considering. Well, I guess Batman Begins was probably shot in two thousand five. This was probably shot two thousand six ish. Ish, so, yeah, yeah. So, but it really is amazing, and it, it was a treat. It was a treat for me. I don't know how you feel. Uh, curious to know, but it was a treat for me to see that that Herzog had actually used CGI, and he admits to storyboarding. The yeah. CGI well, and scenes. then again, that was another <laughs> thing is that it makes sense. I mean, again, you kind of have to when it comes to effects like that. You have um, to. There's a few things in here too, because I pointed out also that there's there's you know two or three shots in the movie that use zoom lenses as well right so there's a few of those things that herzog says that he rarely if ever uses that which we've noted before yeah Um, which we've noted that he's used yeah he's certainly used zooms before yeah um but um yeah i think that's really it i think it's his use of cgi here is very restrained it's certainly only i think in the moments where like i i think that for the the flying seat of course there's the moment where you get the pan over and you see that the plane take off Mm-hmm. And that's very, you know, it's it's clearly CGI because there's not a huge budget well, and, for and those effects. And he even but... uses stock footage for the yes. uh, for the, the landing, yeah. right? For yes. the, he uses yes. stock footage before that. So he, I mean, he's really limiting the, the use of CGI, yeah. the use of CGI to the bare minimum. Um, I feel. And then like. you look at, uh, but even the moments when they're in the sky, when they're when they're flying in the sky raiders, and you can tell that the cockpit is real and that they probably shot it outside on some Practical. sort of very very, yeah. you know you know minimal motion control thing is probably just even like a manual thing that they could shake with their hands if or something. even if even yeah, yeah. might have and just then, been camera um, shake yeah exactly yeah but um it almost like to me it felt those flying sequences as short as they are they felt very you know in a good way very childlike like mm-hmm. it, it felt to me like um reminded me sort of of like the movies that i used to make in a weird way with like lego people oh, sitting in cockpits yeah. and i don't know if that was intentional but what it made me feel like was that this was almost Dieter's impression of what being a pilot was like when he was a kid. That it's oh, almost that like you're so bringing this, 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 this. Because it like felt that. very, 
you know, just seeing him sit in the cockpit and talk, and yeah. it was like, I don't know, it felt very playful, you know, not in a fun innocent, way. In a, you innocent. Know, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, and not in a bad way. Well, you know, that, that and is actually... it also actually... describes, you know, it goes along with, the, with what Dieter said, too, about how he didn't know there were people down there. Like, that right. he didn't ever, like, con- consider that there were people on the ground when he was dropping bombs, that he was just up there because he loved flying. Because he loved so flying. Was, well, yeah. that's a really interesting uh, observation, and I, and I like that. And now that you say it, you know, I look back and I think... Uh, I know because of the commentary on the Blu-ray of this film, you know, Herzog, it was definitely conscientious of and wanted to impart. And there's deleted scenes, which actually build up to this even more, that Dieter was really innocent and Mm -hmm. naive about what he was actually going to do. That, Mm -hmm. you know, to him, this was an adventure. He just loved to fly. Like, he just wanted a chance to fly. That's why he was there. And I think, you know, that kind of innocence really permeates the whole character of Dieter, yeah. I think, through the yeah. whole thing. You know, whether it's like, you know, the smiling guard moment where he kind of shares this little moment with the guard, his ability to keep his his um, his attitude positive and optimistic. Even when they're in the jungle and and, and uh, Dwayne is saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to make it. He's like, yeah. no, come on, we'll go get milkshakes and burgers. <laughs> well, with everyone, right. Yeah. I mean, all yeah. the other characters, Dieter. And so you're right. I, I feel like there was this effort and even extending through to the effects, which you just mentioned Mm -hmm. that there is this childlike kind of quality. And uh, that's really endearing. That's really, yeah, no, I loved it. I I, totally see that. Yeah. And even just the fact that you never, like, there's no, um, like sweeping shots of all the planes coming in. It's very much close up of just the cockpit. Um, and you know, you get a few shots of planes in the distance kind of doing their, their turns into dives and stuff like that. But it's always from the perspective of Bale's cockpit. Yeah. Um, you know, you never get these sweeping, um, like grand action shots of the planes. No, it's coming very down intimate. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, exactly. it's very intimate. I think that's a great example of, you know, and, and now obviously to a lot of people listening here and to myself and to you too, Colin, you know, $10 million when we're saying, oh, what a tiny budget. $10 million is, of course, you know, more money than most people ever have to make a film. Yes. But, yeah. but this but this extrapolates, right? This extrapolates mm-hmm. to much smaller budget. This is a great example of where budgetary constraints can actually help a film. Yeah. And can actually help you find more interesting solutions for, you know, storytelling challenges. And I mean, because it's kind of a contradiction, but but films get more expensive the bigger budget they get, mm. if that makes any sense. Oh, so no, with, no you know, absolutely. So with with five hundred thousand um, dollars, you know, you would arguably make, you know, not just in the literal sense of you're only spending five hundred thousand dollars, but you would make technically a, a cheaper film versus mm-hmm. $10 million because you have the $10 million and now it becomes a larger production. You're spending more money in every aspect. It's like um, orders. It's like there's like this reverse economy of scale or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's, exactly. It, it, right. It's like the more people you have, the more, I mean, yes, cost yeah. just balloon, cost just balloon. And I think yes. it's, it's, it's another great, you know, uh, I think it's for independent filmmakers, for filmmakers just starting out. I guess maybe just filmmakers in general. I mean, Herzog does provide a really great example throughout his career of doing a lot with not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, maybe even not waiting for this perfect, you know, like I've got to have $50 million to make this movie. I mean, Herzog could have said, you know, there's no way I'm making this film for less than $60 million. Uh, and, And, you know, he'd still be waiting to make it. But the fact that he's so willing to, you know, to, to, compromise on budgets and you know and to to really put himself out there you know he's got a crew of of diehard people he's worked a long time with and you know he's he's willing to go out there and sleep in a little hut without trailers and he you know 
uh, he keeps things so cheap. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and a big part of that is just, yeah, he's willing to go through the, he's willing to suffer, but you know, and I think for him though, and he's turned it into something that's not even really suffering, you know, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's adventure. A, very it's prolific, adventure. Prolific. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is kind of, I feel like what Dieter, uh, saw this at as, yeah. you know, uh, which is just mind blowing. And one of the things too, that I thought was really interesting was that, uh, in the postscript for this, uh, apparently Dieter went on to went on to be a pilot and had mm. several more plane four crashes. Four more crashes, four yeah, more in the crashes test that he survived. And I, that's just one more way that I can kind of see Dieter and Herzog being similar. You know, it's mm-hmm. like Herzog goes out into the jungle and he's like, you know, everything's trying to murder you. And then, but it's like he goes back out there six more times. And I, I get a strong sense that Dieter is just the exact same way. A lot of people would have been like, no way, man. You know, uh, that's my last day flying ever when I got shot down and had to spend half a year in a POW camp. Yeah. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> and I also, I mean, I remember in the, when the Herzog Masterclass was first announced and the trailer came out and stuff, and there was one line in it that always kind of stuck with me, which is that like Herzog is a director who's even, even whose flops are magnificent and flops, of course, meaning like the budget or the, the box office flops. Right. Um, and it's like, even when his movies don't, you know, return a lot of money, return yeah. their money or whatever, they're still such interesting movies and such special movies. And I think that that very much is kind of in line with what you're saying, which is that like, even if you crash that plane four more times, you're still a pilot. Like he's still going at it. He's still yeah. in that career in that line of work, which is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Persistence is a key aspect to both yes. Dieter's personality and to Herzog's yeah. personality. Uh, you know, some interesting things too. You know, especially we haven't done a lot of comparison to the documentary, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I'd like to we could touch base on that a little bit since we just mm-hmm. did that last week. It's fresh in our minds, but um, the kind of this idea of and there's there's a handful of interesting things here to discuss. I think. Uh, this idea, and it's a it's a thread throughout all of Herzog's work, is kind of this difference between an accountant's truth and an ecstatic truth, mm-hmm. and this quote unquote you know real life versus the narrative that he's presenting in this film, I think, is really interesting. Um, some of these things are are pretty kind of straightforward and simple. I mean, look, films are always you're streamlining stories. You know, you've only got an hour and a half, two hours to tell a story. So you're always simplifying and streamlining. And of course, some of that happens here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we, you know, there's details that are discussed um, in uh, Little Dieter Needs to Fly that are left out here. And in quote unquote real life, Dieter is captured, he escapes, and then he's captured again. And then he's he's walked to a prison camp, and I spent I think it's yes. some, like six weeks or something. Yeah, he's, he describes six weeks of, of just walking through the jungle and yeah. torture in the jungle and stuff like that before he arrives at the camp. Before he even arrives at the camp, yeah. and so we see you know very much a streamlining of that story here. Yeah, it's only three we, days or so. Yeah. We just leave out all that too. You know, he he's he he crash lands, uh, and he's caught almost immediately. Yeah, uh, and it only takes a couple days to walk. And to I, the camp. I would say also the the only real specific point of um of like tale from from Dieter's description of that six weeks is the offer to kind of be not released but have better treatment if he were to disavow um right. the American action and he you know we see that we see he that sat down yeah. in a house I'm not sure how it occurred in real life he never really goes into details of if he was in that house or right if he, it was just out in some village or something um but yeah he goes into a rather you know a more for like you know built up civilized house rather than like a you know a hut in the forest and it's right. very clearly some sort of place that military the military outpost are, or, yeah. yeah exactly and um is offered 
you know, to to disavow and sign a paper that disavows U.S. military action in Vietnam. Right. And as in real life, of course, he refuses. So that part is in there, which, of course, is an important kind of character-defining moment for him. But you Absolutely. also described that there is a point that's deleted, which is, as we discussed last week, this idea of his ring being stolen by a villager. Right. And so they shot that scene. You said, I haven't seen the deleted scene, but you watched it on the Blu-ray. Well, they did um, actually, yeah. Or they so shot they... it. And what, yeah, talk a little bit about that. Well, so, so let's remember, we'll go back to the documentary. And mm-hmm. remember, Dieter tells a story about how he was being, you know, in the after he was caught a second time and he's being walked to the POW camp, they stop off in a village. And one of the villagers steals his uh, ring. And uh, I can't remember, it's a wedding ring, I think it is, right? Or um, engage something. And, his um, engagement ring. He got engaged engagement think, ring. the day before he Okay, so he had a ring yeah. as part of his engagement. Uh which I never had. I'll have to tell my... I didn't get an engagement ring, yeah. but uh, my wife did. I didn't. Um, but uh, but it's stolen by a villager. And I guess, you know, this is just kind of one of these weird... It's like you can hardly make this up because you wouldn't think this would happen in real life, right? So it's almost like more difficult to put this into a film than it is, you know, because it hardly makes sense. But he actually went to his captors and said, hey, they stole my engagement ring. And they literally, like the people who were torturing him, went to the villager mm-hmm. on his behalf and cut off the villager's finger to give him back his ring. And of course, this is you know this clearly shows that the captors are not just these monsters. I mean that you know they have it's more it more shows that they're doing a job if anything morals right? and values like, absolutely. Yeah. And they're like, hey, that even though this guy's a POW and he's from somebody you know he's somebody from a country that's been killing our people and we're in war. Uh, that's still inappropriate and you know they and it also kind of it, it almost to me what i would have liked to see about that scene i understand why herzog says he cut it due to the violence but right but what i like about graphic. that is um to me that almost shows and and there's other instances in the movie of this being shown so i can see why it wasn't totally necessary but it shows to me this 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 funny contradiction of like rules of war mm-hmm. or like war crimes which is like you can shoot someone but you can't shoot someone the wrong way you can kill people yes. you can't kill people in the wrong way and it's irony is exactly yeah. this which is we're gonna torture you but we're not gonna mistreat you you know you're still a yeah. human being so we're gonna torture you even though you're you're a, you're a prisoner <laughs> of war but how dare you know we're how not dare someone you. steal your emer- right yeah. it's and like, like so it's theft. like this this great con- i mean to me that that is just a, a great moment well, yeah, of the, contradiction the, the term war crimes in and of themselves is kind of yeah, right it's hilarious. This yeah. kind of paradox, right, of yeah. just ridiculousness, but uh, or mm-hmm. iron, you know, this just uh, um, irony of how that all works out. But but yeah. right, but so so, and you're correct that Herzog did shoot this, and he said he was pushed by the production to shoot it, and I think because it's right, this is quite cinematic, you know, it's actiony, it's kind of you know, it's it's spectacular, if you will, it's spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, but Herzog said that. Um, that yeah, he just you know he felt like that it, the, this violence against such an innocent person uh, just really bothered him, mm-hmm. and uh, and so he he decided to leave it out. But they did shoot it, and it was pretty graphic. I mean, we're like right there on the hand, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they did. I'll, leave I'll that have to out. check it out afterwards and take a yeah. look at it. Well, apparently his first cut of the film was about two hours forty minutes. I think he yeah. said. Yeah, two forty. Uh, yeah, two forty. And so, what what is the final film at? I think it's just a hair. Just over, over two hours. Like yeah, an hour and two minutes, or, or two hours two and hours two minutes. And, I think. Yeah, sorry. Exactly. So he c- clearly cut out quite a bit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I can absolutely see why too, uh, you know, to have the, to be captured and escape and then be captured again. And then, you know, it's, I think he really worked hard to get us in the POW camp quickly, introduce us to the rest of the characters. And, and he does that. I think we yeah. get there, we get there pretty quickly, what, within 10 minutes or something. So that's, you know, quite a bit of simplification from Dieter's story. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, this is interesting to me. And, you know, that is that's something where it's like, okay, this is. I th- I feel like that's pretty clear cut. You know, films always do this, uh, and I it, it doesn't seem controversial. It's just about efficiency of storytelling. Yeah, efficiency of storytelling doesn't bother me at all. Um, but this, I think, is more complicated and is more interesting yeah. of a topic to me. Yep, you know what I'm going to say. So apparently, you know, Herzog, uh, it, when he was writing the film, when he was writing the script. He sat down with Dieter over some beers and basically just listened to Dieter tell stories and mm-hmm. wrote down all of his stories and that, you know, and that kind of fit together what he wanted to highlight in the film. And apparently when the film was released, there was a little bit of controversy where the family of some of the other uh, real life people who were in this situation, uh, like Eugene De Bruin, for example, who mm-hmm. was portrayed by Jeremy Davies, uh, that there and was one a... of the men who actually survived, um, which is his name was, I've got it right here. Um, Pishidhi, uh, Indradat, Indradat, who okay. I think he says the other survivor of the group. So there were two survivors total. And I think he was, so he was one of the Thai men that, that got away. Okay. Um, so, so they, there was, I think a little bit of controversy. I don't, you'll have to tell me a little bit more about his, him or his family, but for Eugene de Bruin, I think there was, they felt like his depiction in the film was pretty one-sided mm-hmm. that it wasn't actually factually accurate. Uh, but the, the question that this raises for me that I think is an interesting one, uh, is, a, and especially right when you're dealing with telling a supposed, you know, a true story, if you mm-hmm. will, or a, telling a story based on facts, based on actual real people uh, and especially if you're going to use those people's names, right? I mean, theoretically, Herzog could have made this film uh, and he could have changed the name. I mean, it could be based on Dieter's life, but he could have changed the names so that, you know, he I mean, he could have done several different things to kind of tackle this. But, you know, he used everybody's real names. He uh, it's clearly this is, you know, about a real event. Uh, I, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on what obligations, if any, do you feel like Herzog had to seek more sources than just Dieter's or, you know, to go to these others' families, to proactively seek them out and get their perspective, or I guess for better, lack of a better word, to do like well-rounded research. Yeah. What do I you mean, I can, like? I, it's difficult to say because I can't really like, in terms of the ethics, it's difficult to say without knowing the exact situation of, you know, they say that, that they well, tried even, to reach out to Herzog during production. Well, I'm not even asking, yeah, I'm not even asking uh, to, to sit in judgment of Herzog in this mm-hmm. case. I, I just, I guess I'm kind of, look, uh, I'm kind of curious myself too uh, about just, let's, let's take this away from just this one specific yeah, case. Yeah, yeah. But just in general. So what, I can see why it's done. I can sure. see, and not only specifically to this, but generally I can see, you know, in any instance of a movie, my my first instinct is like, how do we raise the stakes, right? And mm-hmm. so this is clearly a way to raise the stakes is, right. hey, one of the people that they're in camp with is, you know, has this fast, or has this, this fundamental, you know, obsession with the fact that they're going to be set free. So that automatically creates a conflict, which yeah. raise, rises the drama. So I can see from a narrative st- storytelling standpoint why sure. you would do that, why we would decide to go in that direction. Sure. Um, so I don't, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that is it's difficult because there's kind of, again, there's two sides of that too. There's the other side of it though, where it's like, 
you know, how, how inaccurate is okay to be claiming yes. truth, right? Because, you know, the, so the other man that, that I mentioned that actually did escape, one of the Thai prisoners who, who got away and survived, he describes that, you know, that they had this whole escape plan prior to Dieter being there and that they right. waited two weeks to tell him and that they were all in on it and that, um, Gene, who is kind of portrayed as the guy that is like, I'll scream if you guys try to escape because they'll kill us all if we do, and very right. fearful and stuff like that. That he shared food in real life, that he went back for other prisoners. Yeah, who it was were actually sick. quite heroic. So, right. So there's all this other stuff, and Herzog acknowledges that after the movie. He says, I, he I, did. didn't, I wasn't aware, and stuff like that, um, which is good. Um, but again, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's you know it's it's not our place to at least to me you know I'm not going to judge a filmmaker's actions on on how they t just decided to tell their story I can understand being disappointed as a family and being angered at that because it's like this is our family member's legacy yeah um, but at the same time I think I I think that Herzog you know just Herzog's mindset to me was, you know, how do I make this story more engaging and more interesting and more exciting? Right. I mean, that was his angle. I don't think his intention was by any means to, you know, take the memory of someone and, and tarnish them and, and make them a bad person. Yeah. Um, but I also think at the same time, too, I think it's also a completely reasonable reaction and response to be in a prisoner of war camp and to be fearful for your life and to say, if we try to escape, they're going to kill us all. Like I, when <laughs> yeah. I was watching the movie, I don't see that character by any means as an antagonist. I see that character as someone who's just <clears throat> being in a prisoner of war camp for years yeah. and is so desperate at this point that his mind is basically gone to the point of just like, how do I survive? Right. Um, and I thought that that was, if anything, again, when we're talking about this efficiency of storytelling, that that is to me like this, almost this warning sign to Dieter of like, this is what's going to happen to me if I'm here for too long. And that then drives yeah. him to want to escape faster when it's, you know, and sure. wants him to leave. So, um, so to me, it's, it's, you know, again, the, in terms of the ethical standing of it, I, I, I'm not going to really put my judgment in because I, I don't think, I think that I would need to be more involved in the context to really make a fair judgment on that. Sure. Um, and so I can understand both sides. I can definitely understand where both it's sides a tough are coming one. from on it. Yeah. yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I, I agree. I wouldn't, I, I'm not going to sit here in judgment of Herzog as a person at all, mm. not even close. Uh, but it's an interesting question, you know, that different shades of this question, I think, are likely to, to kind of come in front of us uh, you know, if you if you make a certain number of films, if you're in this gig for very long, I think you'll likely kind of run across some kind of coloration of this question, right? Mm -hmm. How you present things, you know, especially anytime if you're working with a documentary and there are actually real live people involved. These aren't made up characters, but we're actually dealing with real people. Yeah. You know, there's this question I think comes up a lot. And it's certainly, I mean, I know that it's come up for me, how you represent people and you know how do you choose to handle that uh how do you balance the you know shaping the story versus how you deal with the actual human beings uh who represent the people on the screen mm. when you're done uh and i don't think there are easy answers i think no. it's you yeah. know every filmmaker has to i mean hopefully you're at least thinking about these things though and that's a good start you know hopefully yeah, you're and who, I mean, I, again, it. who knows if, because again, the the families say that they tried to reach out to Herzog during the production, 
and that they, you know, to no avail. And that, again, could completely just be, like, Herzog's publicist just being like, no, I'm not going to let him know. He's busy. Yeah. Um, Like, I don't see Herzog as someone who would have intentionally maligned somebody. No, I don't Um, think so at all. And, of course, again, that's all speculation, but... um, but doesn't seem likely. It, it doesn't, doesn't seem, seem likely, likely just, that the just given the the past of his, you know, yeah. his actions in the past. It doesn't seem like he. And I, I, you know, I'll take him at his word to say that if he says, "Had I known this, I would have altered sure. that and, and made it made it more accurate to, to life." Um, and I, yeah. I, I believe him on that. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, but again, it's, not... it's one of those things too that comes out just like at any point people are going to to criticize inaccuracies in film but there almost always has to be some level of inaccuracy because you there can't yeah. you just simply can't tell an 100% true story through film whether yeah. it's documentary or whether it's it's a narrative um well and people are always going to have different it's like ultimately too it would come down let's just take this case for example yeah. you know it's like okay you've got one survivor you know you've got uh Dieter telling his story you yeah. may have uh, other family members saying, well, that's not what we heard, you know, so it almost becomes like a, he said, you know, she said, yeah. or kind yeah. of, you know, this, these different perspectives. And it's like, you know, that could be an impossible quagmire to wade through. And you may not end up ever even being able to, you know, start shooting. And the other difficulty that, yeah. The other difficulty there too, is just that it's like, um, you know, again, you, we weren't there for those conversations with Dieter and Herzog. So do I think that Dieter seems like someone who would, you know, have told Herzog that one of us was cowardly. Or no. no, I think that, like, to me, if I, you know, just, if I, I'm allowed to speculate for a moment, what I think would have happened was just that those details about the specifics between the interpersonal things were, you know, again, stripped down to their their basics to for efficiency's sake because they did also cut out one person. There were seven prisoners of war mm-hmm. in real life and there's only six in the movie. So I'm sure that Herzog was just kind of like, oh, right, let's just put, you know, certain characters have certain plot functions and we need the, to fulfill those. So we're, we're just going to, you know for the sake of efficiency put those in into the different people and alter their personalities slightly yeah um and so i think it was more just a matter to me again of like while herzog was writing the script he was like well we need something to prevent Dieter from going out immediately we need we need to prevent Dieter from his full-on like there needs to be conflict within this mm-hmm. this prisoner of war camp it can't, can't just be entirely you know right okay we're gonna break out it's not the great escape there has to be some well, conflict so that's and what I always, see. You know, and I think it comes back to, you know, again, what the intention kind of isn't to like pick apart this particular instance, but rather yeah. I just, I yeah. feel like it, it kind of, uh, it is an instance of uh, a, a question that just comes up a lot as any artist. Um, yes. And I think, you know, yeah. Herzog speaks to it a lot too. I think it's something that Herzog has handled, dealt with, and spoke to uh, throughout his entire career. And, you know, he frames the question of an accountant's truth mm-hmm. versus an ecstatic truth. And so I, you know, I, I, I see that in his work for sure. And it's, it's extremely clear in his documentaries, uh, more so more apparent than most other filmmakers, yeah. you know, his, his desire to issue that accountant's facts, um, and move toward what he sees it as an aesthetic truth. I think it just so happens in this film, you're dealing with, you're using real people's names and, and sensitive subject matter and it's and, yeah. a very sensitive subject matter so yeah. you know i i certainly can see that but you know uh, i agree with you completely i don't think there was ever any kind of intention uh to misrepresent somebody or to make somebody appear in a in a bad light i i yeah. don't think so at all so yeah yeah but uh i mean and i agree with you too i think that overall it's like i didn't look at any of these characters and think oh my gosh you know what a horrible person i think mm-hmm. like wow, this is the range of potential human responses to 
the most extreme situation I could ever imagine. Yeah. I mean, because of course, Dwayne, while not being the you know someone hero. who says I'm gonna I'm gonna prevent our escape, Dwayne is also very much a a you know someone who in the movie I mean um, is is seen as for lack of a better term weak is seen as he as they're making their way to the jungle he says yeah. you know leave me behind he doesn't you know assist with the escape when when he was supposed to and things like that and so that's a right. big point of of difference whereas in the in real life supposedly they there was very much more group effort in terms of the assistance of the escape whereas yeah. in the movie it's it's kind of more represented as as Dieter being sort of abandoned um, yes and having to do it all himself um including by Dwayne you know Dwayne not intentionally, but rather, you know, he's for, he throws up on the ground and is kind of sick. So he, Dieter goes on and, and succeeds without him. Right. Um, but, but again, and it, so like you said, it was the range of human reaction, range of human response to these situations that I found interesting rather than necessarily indicting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think too, it's just important to remember as well. I mean, I think, you know, this is, and, and, you know, Herzog says in the commentary track at the end of this film, which is a really beautiful and I think more sentimental kind of Hollywood-ish ending than mo almost any other of, of Herzog's mm. films. Mm -hmm. uh, but Herzog said, you know, um, he's talking about this ending and how he said he really wanted this to be a gift to Dieter's uh, sons because Dieter uh, was passed away at this mm -hmm. point. But um, that, and I really got a sense that that Herzog's goal here was to tell Dieter's story as Dieter shared it and felt it, the shared yeah. it with Herzog and as yeah. he felt it personally. So all of us have our own, you know, truths that we see the world through. I mean, you know, none of our memories are any kind of objective reality truth. And so I think that, you know, this is very much a film that's told very much from one person's perspective, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes I can, again, like you said, I can understand how if if you were, you know, uh, a family member of yours was represented in a way that you didn't feel like was truthful, that that might be painful. But, you know, I think all told, uh, Herzog generally does a really good job mm -hmm. of, and, and I, he's like, we'll tell anybody every, anywhere, you know, hey, I'm not saying that every, you know, everything that happened in this story is factually true. I'm yeah. working toward an art artistic truth. Um, and, and it's something that I try to work towards as well. And I think it's a good goal. So totally. Yeah. All right. Well, we've knocked another one down, Colin. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't believe it. 27 episodes in. That's outstanding. I look forward to seeing what, uh, what film we're going to cover next time. But, mm -hmm. uh, as always, uh, I enjoyed our conversation and, uh, I look forward to next time. So until then, everybody, thanks so much for hanging out with us. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye.